Well, today we're concluding the message series, Growing a Godly Family, and our message is entitled, Grow in Love. Uh, In this series, we've talked about growing in different ways, growing in perseverance, growing in godliness, growing in kindness. Today, we're going to talk about the importance of love, and that really encompasses all the characteristics that, that we've talked about. Love is really what bonds a family together. Without love, it's impossible to grow a godly family. Now, today, we want to step back for a minute and ask the question, what is a family? Now, 50 years ago, we wouldn't have had to ask that question. Uh, Everybody would know what a family was. But today, we need to discover the definition of a family from the Bible, from God's Word, which is the truth. Uh, Opinions that contradict God's Word, that you will have heard, uh, are lies. And they, they lead to ungodliness. They lead to negative things happening in, in those so-called families, negative things happening in our society. So let's begin today by looking at Jesus' teaching on the topic of family. Now in your bulletins is a white page. I'd encourage you to pull it out. It has the outline, the verses written out on the back are study questions used in some of the life groups. Look at Matthew 19, verse 4. Jesus is speaking here and says, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? Pretty simple verse, isn't it? So to begin with, God created every human being to be either male or female. There there are no other categories in the Bible. There are just two. Pretty simple. Now our gender is therefore determined, first of all, by our bodily form. But our gender is also determined by our DNA. Do you realize, I mean, you should know this from basic biology, but a female has two X chromosomes and a male has an X and a Y chromosome. Whether we're male or female is is written within our DNA. And nothing can change that. So people may change outward bodily forms, but who we really are, who God created us to be, is either male or female. And so we hear a lot of talk today about transgender people and not not meaning to be offensive, but transgender people are simply mentally ill. And just a few years ago, that's how they would be diagnosed by psychologists or psychiatrists. They're simply mentally ill. They need help so that their thinking, their thought process can be aligned with who God made them to be. They're either male or female the way they were born. Matthew 19, verse 5, going on here, it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And so Jesus here speaks of marriage. What is marriage? Again, we have to define it from God's word. Marriage is the union between one man and one woman. And in marriage, the couple creates a new family unit. And that family unit is meant to be lifelong. Marriage is intended to be lifelong. And so any other so-called form of marriage is not really marriage at all, according to God's word. Relationships between two men, two women, or whatever combination I just read in some country now, three men got married. Okay, I mean, you're going to see all kinds of permutations, but those are simply sinful homosexual relationships. And God's word makes it clear that the laws of a nation are to promote what is right and to punish what is wrong. 
And so as Christians, unfortunately, there are Christians who think this is wrong, but that our law should be changed to promote it or encourage it. All Christians should be opposed to any laws that promote or condone any sinful behavior, such as same-sex marriage, because when you promote that type of sinful behavior, it impacts society negatively, the society that we live in. Matthew 19, verse 6 says, So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And so God himself is involved in marriage. It says that God is the one who joins a man and a woman together in marriage. And so marriages are not to be broken through divorce. The Bible says God hates divorce, except one possible exception is the sin of adultery where the person has gone off with somebody else and the marriage cannot be reconciled. So what is so that now we've looked at what families are all about. What are our families to do? Well, God commanded the first family in Genesis 1.28, Adam and Eve. It says God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heaven, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so this creation mandate for the family it says that families should have children. They should multiply. They should fill the earth. Uh, there's nothing wrong with the earth being filled with people. God has it figured out how it's all going to work out. We should have dominion over the earth. And in this family unit, husbands are to love wives. Wives are to love husbands. Parents are to love children. Uh, children are to love one another. Children are to love and honor their parents. And so love should characterize the family unit. So let's today look more closely at God's direction for our families with respect to love. In order to grow in love in our families, we need to have experienced God's love in our own lives. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have ever uh, eternal life. And so in order to grow in love for others, we need to have experienced God's love. God loved people so much that he sent Jesus to die that our sins might be forgiven. And when people believe in Jesus Christ, they're rescued from eternal death, they enter into eternal life, and they begin to experience the love of God. And that experience of God's love is going to last forever. That's what eternal life is all about, living and experiencing God's love. Now, you can't earn God's love. Romans 5.8 says, God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ didn't die for people who were good enough. A lot of people think, well, if I'm just a good person, then God's going to love me. He's going to uh, forgive me. He's going to let me go to heaven if I'm just a good enough person. But no one is good enough to earn God's love. The Bible says all have sinned and the wages of sin is death. Just one sin is enough to separate you from God's love in this life and for eternity. And so God extended his love to us, not when we were trying to be good enough, but while we were in rebellion against him, doing our own thing, while we were still sinners. And so in order to experience God's love, you can't earn it. We must simply receive Jesus. John 1.12, to all who did receive him, that's received Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And so the only way to experience God's love 
is through Jesus. That's the only way. And that's considered offensive, politically incorrect today. You can't experience God's love through any other person. You can't experience God's love through any other religion. You can't experience God's love by any good thing that you do. How do you experience God's love? Well, it tells us in this verse. You need to receive him into your life and believe in him. To receive Jesus into your life is, is to make him the Lord of your life. To submit your life to him and everything that he tells you to do. When you receive and believe in Jesus, you become part, this verse tells us, of the family of God. You become a child of God. And as a child of God, you experience the love of your Father throughout this life and through eternity. And so in your own immediate family unit, what, whether you're a parent, whether you're a child, your goal as a believer is to do everything you can that everybody in your family would experience God's love. Those are the people closest to you. Those are the people you have the greatest responsibility for. And even when you've begun a new family unit, as it talks about in, in Genesis, you still are part of your family of origin. And you still have a responsibility to your parents and your siblings to lead them to the Lord and his love. Because God placed you in that family. And if you know God's love, you experience God's love, you need to share that and make sure everybody in your family also experiences it. Now, God's love for us is described in the Greek language as agape love. The word, Greek word is agape. There's different words in the Greek language as opposed to the English language to describe love. Agape love is, if we want to speak of it, Simply, it's unconditional love. We already heard that God loved us so much while we were still sinners. God showed his love to us. We, we, we weren't expressing any love back to God when he sent Jesus to die for us. Agape love loves even when the other person doesn't love back. Now, that's, that's not the kind of love we hear on the radio, is it? Or we see in movies. Human love, much human love is conditional. It's conditioned on the other person loving loving us back. But agape love, God's love, is much, much more powerful. It's the kind of love that we need in order to grow in God's love in our family. Because in our family, God's word tells us we are to love one another. 1 John 4, 7 says, Beloved, let us, beloved, he's speaking of God loving us. That's why we're beloved. We're loved by God. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Greek word here is agape again. And so God's word commands us to love one another. Now, this is specifically directed towards the church family, but it also applies to our physical families. And one of the things we need to remember, whenever we see a command in God's word, we need to understand that everything God commands, we can obey with his help. Not, God never commands us to do something that's impossible to do with his help. Some things we can't do with, without his help, but everything we can do with God's help. And so how are we able to love one another with God's agape love, to love conditionally, even when you express love to somebody and they don't express it back, <clears throat> or in a way that you appreciate? Well, we can do that 
because we have been born of God. Remember we talked about when you receive Jesus and believe you become a child of God. And as it were, we inherit God's DNA. The DNA of agape love. And we can love others with the love of God. The more we grow to know God, the more our love grows as well. And so God's agape love is available for us to love one another with. Now, if we don't love, it shows that we really don't know God. Verse 8 says, anyone who does not love this way does not know God because God is love. Sometimes people say, well, I just can't love that person. Could be somebody in your family, a relative, somebody in the church family, or somebody else. But God's word here makes clear if you don't love other people, that means you don't know God. It means you're not really God's child, or at best you're confused. You're off track because God is love. And those who are his children have the capacity to love everybody. Of course, as we grow in God, our love deepens and grows as well. So what does God's love, what does this agape love look like? Well, Jesus is our example. If we want to know what does love look like, we look to Jesus. Verse 9, in this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And so God's love was shown, made manifest, made visible to us, when he sent Jesus to this earth to die for us. Jesus came on a mission. He came on a mission to save sinners. He knew when he left heaven, it would cost him his life. But he came anyway. That we might have life and have a relationship with God. And so Jesus is our example of love. Jesus laid down his life, gave up his life that we might be saved that we might be rescued from eternal death and find eternal life in and through him. And so we must learn also how to lay down our lives for those in our family, for those in our church family. To lay down our lives is, is to think of others, to put their needs ahead of ours. That's how we learn to love one another. Now, Loving one another is, is not just doing whatever the other person may want or desire. Sometimes people get confused. Like, what do you want? And it's like, okay, if I do what you want, that's love. God's love is the ultimate, I would say, ultimate tough love. Agape love is, is really tough love. It's, it's doing what God wants, what God desires for the other person. And sometimes that's not what the person wants themselves. It's doing what's best according to God's word for the other person. And so loving one another is sharing God's love with a relative who doesn't want to talk about it. Loving a relative who thinks they don't need God in their lives. Showing God's love is sharing with them even when they don't want to hear. Loving one another is disciplining your children to teach them to obey God's word. How many have a child who ever volunteered to be disciplined? They don't want to be disciplined, but we love them enough to discipline them that they might learn 
to obey God. Loving one another is laying down your desires so that your whole family can grow in God's love. It's working together for the kingdom. And so how can we grow in that kind of love? It's already talked about this, but the love that God wants us to have must come from God himself. Verse 10 says, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And so again, the kind of love we're talking about today doesn't originate in us. And we might say, I can't love that person. And in fact, that might be true. Within ourselves, we can't love that other person who, who offends us or who does bad things to us. But God's love sent Jesus to this earth as a sacrifice and turned away God's wrath from us. And that's the kind of love that we can love somebody else with, somebody that we don't naturally have a desire to love. God's love broke through the barrier that separated us from God and made a relationship with God possible. And when we learn to be channels of God's love, when we learn to love others with this agape love, that love can break through barriers between people. That love can break barriers between people and God. God's love can break barriers of sin, barriers of unforgiveness, barriers of anger, can bring about reconciliation and love. And so as we learn more and more about God's love, we learn that God's love can motivate our love. Verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And so as believers, the more we understand that we've been the recipient of God's unconditional, awesome love when we didn't deserve it, when we begin to understand that in greater depth, the more we can love others with that same love. God loved us so much that he forgave us all of our sins. And what makes it hard for us to love another person? It's when they've hurt us and we can't forgive them. God's love can help us to forgive. If God loved us so much that he forgave all of our sins, how can we not forgive those who sin against us? If God loved us so much that he sent Jesus to save us when we wanted nothing to do with him, how can we not extend God's love even to people who don't want to hear, even to people who treat us badly, even to people who may persecute us? Whenever we have trouble in loving somebody else, might be in our family, might be in our church family, might be in our workplace, think about God's love and be motivated by that love, to have the same kind of love, to let God's love flow through you to the other person. This passage ends in verse 12, and it says, No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. And so we grow in God's love as we love others. Now, we can't see God. He's not visible to our naked eye. God is spirit. We can't see him. When Jesus was on this earth, he was, he was God in the flesh, and people could, in essence, see God in Jesus. But Jesus is no longer here. He ascended back into heaven. So we cannot 
see God anymore. So how is God's love demonstrated in our world today? This verse tells us that when we as believers love others with God's agape love, something wonderful happens. God's love is perfected in us. When other people look at us, they see God's love. They see people made in the image of God loving as God himself does. And so in a way that's probably impossible for us to perfectly understand, God's love is perfected in us as we express that love to other people. We grow in God's love as we love others. And so in a family, everybody is different. Husbands and wives are different. Everybody has different abilities. Everybody has different ideas. Everybody has different opinions. But as parents, we are to teach our children to love God and to love one another. As spouses, we are to love one another as God has loved us. Families grow in God's love by worshiping God together in the family and in the church family. Families grow in God's love by praying together at home and at church. Families grow in God's love by serving God together at home and in the church family. Families grow in God's love by sharing his love to those who don't yet know him. And so let's continue to grow in God's love each and every day as he enabled us. Now, to become a believer, to experience God's love for the first time, as Joel was talking about, you need to admit that you've sinned and repent, turn away from that sin. You need to believe and receive Jesus as your Savior and Lord and commit yourself to following him all the days of your life. And So this morning, if you'd like to experience God's love for the first time, or you'd like to recommit your life and experience more of his love, I'd encourage you to pray with me. So let's bow our heads. I'm going to pray a simple prayer. Just pray along. God knows your heart. Say, Father, today, I admit that I've sinned. I've done wrong things. I haven't loved as you've loved me. But I believe that Jesus loved me so much that he died on the cross, took my sins upon himself that I might be forgiven. I receive you into my life. I commit myself to you as my Savior and Lord. Forgive my sins. Cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And help me to live for you from this day forward. For those of us who are believers, let's pray as well. Father, we we thank you for your great love for us that sent Jesus to die for us, to save us from our sins. May, May we never... Cease to be amazed at your great love for us. Show us how fantastic and awesome that love is, God. Thank you, God, for every person here who's received you and put their faith in you. We want to learn to love like Jesus did. We want to love with your love. Forgive us, God, for loving, uh, for loving conditionally and, and stopping loving somebody who didn't love us back. Help us not to base our love on how others treat us. Help us to love others 
including our families, with your unconditional love. And even when others don't love us back, may we continue to love God. When we're tempted to not be loving to somebody or to take revenge or not to forgive, help us to remember your example of love for us and for this world. God, we pray that our families would demonstrate your love to people who do not yet know you. We pray, God, that in our immediate and extended families, that each one would be drawn to you through our love. May we lay down our lives that every person related to us would come to you. Help our families, God, and our church family to be known for our love for you and our love for one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.